I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Craig, I understand you've got some uh, really interesting interviews regarding journalism, Tom Howard and Speed Cafe. And First off, to look at the news and the launch of the Bathurst 1000 took place this week where the Mayor of Bathurst, Bobby Burke, welcomed last year's winners, Stephen Richards and Craig Lowndes, back to the mountain. Yeah, I'd just like to welcome Craig Lowndes and Steve Richards and every, everyone else here today. Uh, the super cheap auto Bathurst 1000 is just around the corner, and it's always an exciting time of the year to be in Bathurst. Last year, 206,755 race fans walked through the gates at Mount Panorama with, while... 1.7 million people watched it on television. Uh, this year the great race will again be full of excitement and no doubt lots of thrills and spills. The super cheap auto Bathurst 1000 is widely regarded as the pinnacle of motorsport in Australia and recognised worldwide. We, we invest a lot of uh, time and resources each year into ensuring the circuit is in the best condition to hope this iconic event. And today, you know, it's a privilege to be here and welcome these two guests to town. It's always great to get back here, you know, the moment you roll down the hill and see Mount Panorama in the background. Um, it's a special place for, for the drivers. Um, our whole industry has been built around this one race, so, um, and no doubt the fans love it as well. It's, it's a really an amazing track. We all talk about how challenging it is, um, a bit over six kilometres of uh, road or bitumen that uh, we've got to try and conquer, and hopefully the weather's like this in two weeks' time. It's different every year, you know, I, I never come here with any preconceived ideas of what the race is going to be. I have some fantastic memories with, with Craig and, um, you know, on-track antics but also off-track, so I'm looking forward to, you know, writing a, 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 another personal piece of history for myself and Frosty and, you know, there's, the competition's as good as it's ever been, better. Um, it's going to be a hard race to, to get to the top of, but with you and racing guys, really looking forward to it. I think the importance of this event on Australian motorsport, it, 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 um, it's put, the, put, the, put motor racing in Australia on the map through the general sporting community, and people globally know what this race is all about. They know where Bathurst is. Everyone wants to come here and be a part of this race at some point of their career or at some point of their life. Um, so it's, it's a huge, huge event. I think that's uh, hopefully the combination between Jamie and myself. Jamie can look after a qualifying car or I can look after a race car. And the combination with that, we can sort of come together and get both elements of the car right. It always, um, you know, a special time for a driver, especially in the top 10 shootout. All the eyes are on you. Um, make a little mistake, we all comment about it, you know, but if you get that perfect lap, as, as uh, I think Steve said, that there's nothing gratifying as a driver to be able to, to stand on the podium um, at the end of the day, but to be on pole position here to start the race and, and lead the, f the field away will be really special. We'll both be trying pretty hard, but I guarantee at the end of it we'll, uh, we'll shake hands, have a hug and, and laugh about it. <laughs> Craig Lance and Stephen Richards also in that story. Well, I'm coming off a big Sandan 500. It was an amazing weekend. I'm hoping that you saw some of it, Craig. Being there for the three days was pretty terrific. One of the uh, wonderful things that came out of it was that they've had the largest ever audience uh, on television, at the track and online, 
for the Shannons uh, round, um, and it was, of course, the debut of uh, S5000, the penultimate round of TCR, and it was the debut in Australia for uh, Nestor Giolami, who was a fantastic young driver who came and showed uh, the guys in TCR how he does it, and very successfully, as well as the uh, wonderful debut in 5000s for Rubens Barrichello in the country. It was a fantastic weekend for that reason. Unfortunately, the feature race didn't pan out because of uh, an accident between uh, two guys, one of whom, Alex Davison, was very innocent, and unfortunately, Matthew Brabton, who has apologised profusely. But... um, the standout in 5000s was the least expected standout, that being James Golding, who was a last-minute replacement for Dale Woods. Um, quite extraordinary. Uh, Dale had lined things up and then the money fell over, and James Golding being one of the preferred sons of of uh, Gary Rogers, he got the uh, call-up, and he did a fabulous job in the all weekend. So that was tremendous to see. Um it bodes well for a uh, very big Bathurst in a couple of weeks' time. I'm certainly looking forward to being there and talking to a number of people who came out because there was a large motorsport contingent who came to see 5000s. And you'll uh, hear in coming weeks some interviews that uh, I did, which uh, I'm sure you'll find interesting, interviews with guys who are open-wheel addicts, shall we say, and they've been premier men in the... Uh, uh, Formula 3 and Formula 4 categories for some years, that being Bronte Rundle, uh, um, Bruin Beasley, and a young German who's been here for three years working with Adam Gotch. His name is Timmy Ungar. His father runs a uh, Formula 4 DTM uh, team in Germany. And uh, these three men uh, played a major part in between them. They ran, I think, eight of the... Uh, 12 or so cars at Sandown in 5000s and um, it's really interesting to see the way in which I think the category is going to be a, a winner. I think it's uh, Chris Lambden, Mike Borland with the money of uh, Brian Boyd and um, uh, John McClellan um, the way in which uh, Pace and Wilson and uh, Gary Rogers uh, vast crew must make particular mention of Stephen Millard here who's the chief engineer on the program with Richard Holway looking on. They've done a fabulous job with these cars. They uh, uh, demonstrated their strength when uh, um, the uh, there were a few bits that were knocked off them by uh, the fence at Sandown. Matt Braddon had a uh, earlier incident with the wall, just bent a toe link, which was replaced for the feature race. But it should be a fabulous uh, time. And Wing Cup has apologised, so has Cam Waters, for their comments made after the Pukekohe race about the officials and, of course, what we now class as safety car gate. It has been an interesting couple of weeks since the New Zealand round to see how it has all fallen out with Wing Cup and Waters' comments being taken very negatively by cams. Eugenia Rocker has accepted the apologies and no bans will ensue. Uh, sort of Damocles over Wing Cup could have seen him miss a race. And of course that would have put Craig Lowndes in the car with, well who knows who Triple Eight would have come up with as the other driver. 
Supercars have announced that they're seeking balance from the new TV deal. No surprise that they're looking for a way to include more free-to-air coverage in the next TV rights deal after having had a heavier sway of events being on pay TV than free-to-air. So Sean Seymour has told Speed Cafe that he's looking to seek a bit more free-to-air television and balance that up a bit better Free over quality and quantity was the quote he used in that article. Bruce Newton is reporting that there's a BTC link potentially at Walkinshaw's Racing where the young BTC star Ash Sutton might team up with Chas Mostert at Walkinshaw Andretti Racing or Walkinshaw Andretti United next year. The team has been quick to say that they are looking at a number of options, both national and international. Todd Hazelwood is the local name that has kept bobbing up. Kelly Racing is saying that they could switch to Mustangs due to the new engine rules that were announced last week. Todd Kelly telling Speed Cafe that there's a potential that they might have to go down the Mustang route rather than continuing the development of their engines. One of the reasons is the engine heads. They were hoping to be able to go back to the standard road car head on their engines but as the drive-by-wire throttle isn't going to be mandatory next year it might mean they'll make the change to the Fords. Ports out of New Zealand are saying Pukeko Park is in a precarious position and they are seeking approval to sell off some of the land or to develop some of the land into a business park to help with the future of the circuit and of course the horse racing track also the trotting track that's over the back as well and supercars look like they're moving their gen 3 regulations back to 2022 and a move that is not much of a surprise to many as they try to work out where the series is going to move to in the future we've got a big show for you today we kick it off as we continue our series of long-term members of the supercar paddock we speak to grm's longest serving member this week joe sullivan we also, after the break, follow up on Fogues's open letter at Auto Action on the way that the paddock is treating journalists. And we speak to Tom Howard, of course, Tom Howard from Speed Cafe, in an interview I did with him right back at the beginning of the year, in fact, for another show that we'll be doing later in the year. I spoke to Tom Howard about what it's like to be a motorsport journalist at Speed Cafe and also his background having come from England in newspapers as well as working in circuit land. And this follows on from an article which I would suggest you go and have a look at at autoaction.com.au which Fogues has written about the way uh, that journalists are treated in uh, motorsport media. After the break, we'll be continuing... Uh... Really interesting series on the long-term employees in pit lane in supercars. This week, it's Joe Sullivan, a man I've known for probably 25 years. He goes back to the days of Murray Carter. He's certainly been and seen there, and I've known him in probably five or six different teams, including uh, Glenn Seaton's uh, FTR and uh, HRT and Gary Rogers now. Um, Joe Sullivan, his story. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, 
Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. There's a number of people in pit lane who have had quite the careers, and not just the drivers. And Joe Sullivan from Gary Gary Rogers Motorsport or Boost Mobile Racing. I guess the shirts and names change over the years, Joe. It's hard to keep up sometimes. It is a bit, yeah, yeah, for sure. That um, these days the sponsors, you know, are so critical and so, so much an important part of the race, and uh, their involvement and their recognition, you know, is you know vital to you know the whole racing program and to their you know involvement with us. So uh, the names change, but the Gary Rogers Motorsports lived on for many years now. In fact, no, I think 1963 was Gary's first year with himself, but uh, that was well before my time. But uh, uh, Gary Rogers Motorsports has had uh, yeah, varying uh, involvements along the way and uh, these days yeah, with uh, the Boost Mobile you know, side of the uh, main game supercar program that we run and then the uh, Super 2 program you know, for Gary Rogers Motorsport with Dylan O'Keefe and Mason Barbera and now you know, moving on to the uh, TCR program and then the S5000 is about to kick off. It's a pretty big operation, Gary Rogers Motorsport, these days in Dandong, and uh, a lot happens there. And uh, a long way from when Gary started out with uh, one car himself and uh, uh, helpers you know, on the weekends and uh, a small garage that you had to turn the car sideways just to get in through the side door to, to park it away. So things have changed a lot over the years, but uh, motor racing is still fun and uh, we still enjoy it, so it's good. You're considered the longest employee at GRM and uh, 10 years over two stints they tell me yeah well actually in fairness I suppose uh, probably there have been guys there at GRM for longer than me and I've probably been involved with Gary a bit longer than the 10 years I've worked there full time but uh, in varying roles uh, helping me out a bit more with the transport of his car and you know, other things during the years but uh, um, yeah things are just sort of you know, ramped up as I've gone along and you just sort of run with the flow and uh, you know, move with the times but uh, it's certainly you know, much more of a business these days and it's much more demanding from a uh, you know, corporate point of view and a marketing sponsor point of view um, more people to work with but uh, you know, the whole thing is just you know, lifted to a, a bona fide business level where days gone by it was a, a weekend pursuit that you, you, know, you, you enjoyed something you were passionate about but uh, it's now progressed onto a full time you know, job situation and uh, employment for um, myself and uh, yeah, in our case uh, another 35 people full time at uh, Dandenong so um, yeah, one way or another it's certainly made a, a huge you know, leap in you know, progress and uh, you know, the, the level of involvement but uh, yeah, the racing is probably more competitive these days than it ever used to be but uh, it's, uh, it's still tough so uh, um, not always what you want but uh, give it your best shot to you know, give you, you, you all you can on the day and uh, whatever the result comes from there you have to run with and uh, work out next time if it's not quite good enough. So was motor racing part of your family or was it something you took interest in as a kid? Uh, not part of the family, but uh, the next-door neighbours where I grew up in Chelsea in Melbourne, uh, the next-door neighbours had sedan cars on the speedway. So uh, as a 10 or 11-year-old, I uh, you know, 
got to notice them and then you know, sort of uh, got to be annoying and pestering them and uh, they eventually took me along the races as a bit of a, a nuisance value, you know, sort of uh, an 11-year-old and uh, helped out them and then uh, from there I uh, went to school with Murray Carter, his son, uh, Murray Carter, a guy that's uh, been around racing for many years and uh, retired these days but uh, did a lot of sports car racing, a bit of motorbike racing before that and then sedan racing in the Group C touring car era for uh, quite a bit of time so uh, it was through the next door neighbour and then the Murray Carter involvement that uh, I sort of uh, developed uh, a fairly uh, keen interest in, in the racing and then yeah, from there it sort of progressed on to where it's at now. So what was your first what was your first job, paid job for a race team? Uh, the first paid job was with Murray Carter. So um, back in the day when I first started out with him, I used to go along as a weekend helper. And then um, in the mid-70s, uh, things were starting to you know, sort of uh, ramp up a bit. And uh, Brian Wood Ford became involved as a sponsor for Murray Carter. And uh, it was about the same time that the uh, semi-trailer transporters you know, started to appear. And so uh, travel with them was a little bit more you know, drawn out and a little bit more involved. So... Uh, Murray was good enough to give me a job back then uh, to look after the car and uh, for the parts that he wasn't looking after himself and uh, drive the transport to and from the meetings. So first paid job in the, the uh, mid-70s and then uh, with Murray Carter and then um, I've had a couple of short breaks uh, along the way you know, since then but uh, the bulk of my employment you know, all the way from then till now has been uh, in the racing and uh, in varying roles and uh, still enjoy it so uh, it's all good. So when you came to Gary's, you were running the transporter for him and doing tyres at that stage? Uh, the first time round, I uh, originally, or to begin with, was doing the transporter and then moved on to uh, looking after Jason Bargwana's car for a couple of years and then moved back to the transporter side of things and then uh, uh, the transporter involvement together with the wheels and tyres it seems to go hand in hand with that for most of the guys along pit lane these days. Uh, that was sort of where my direction headed off to and uh, that's where it is these days. So how has that side of the business changed, running the cars to and from? Like Murray Carter you mentioned, I imagine he started with an open trailer with just a car cover over it? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because actually my first year at Bathurst was in 1970 and uh, that year uh, we actually drove up in the Phase 2 GTHO Falcon road car that was the race car so uh, it's progressed all the way from driving to the track in the race car to um, tandem trailers through to flat top you know, sort of tray trucks and then to you know, single trailer, semi-trailer outfits and out of the B-double outfits that we use these days to move around two cars at a time and all the gear and equipment that you know, goes with you know, running those two cars when you get the races, the panels, the spares have increased and the wheels and tyres numbers have increased so uh, you know, the whole thing's just expanded and uh, just have to run with the times but uh, that's the way it goes with racing these days. Does it, it seem like an incremental shift or has it been big technology jumps that have seen what you've done have to relearn almost every five years or is it just every year it's something a little piece every time yeah, I wouldn't have called it so much incremental. I think it's just been a, um, a progression, but um, you know, increments is probably the right way to describe it in some respects, but uh, it's more about the available resources. But uh, I would have to say that uh, you know, through in my involvement you know, through the 70s and probably uh, also the 80s, uh, the money level you know, wasn't there to the extent that it was towards the late 80s. I think the late 80s, from where I see it, was where the money level really increased across the competitive base. There's probably the occasional guys... That 
that uh, had uh, you know, good funding you know, in the, 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 the days before that. But for my money, you know, sort of 1990 onwards was probably a point in the sand where you know, the teams ramped up, the available money ramped up, and then that in turn created the opportunities for more people to be involved and more technology, you know, more sort of uh, uh, current level you know, sort of uh, engineering and uh, uh, access to you know, other people and uh, you know, people in you know, more diverse fields that then we could involve you know, in the racing to sort of expand on you know, what we're already doing ourselves on a pretty low level. So you know, I, I guess in, in some respects it comes in bits of you know, sort of ups and downs and you know, some eras or some years are probably more progressive than others but uh, it has been a fairly steady increase I think since 1990 and uh, continues on to this day probably uh, does go through spots where it goes a bit flat when the the financial situation probably restricts it a bit but uh, generally speaking we've established enough sort of link and and business um, uh, situation that uh, the technology and the, the, the money one way or another seem to find their way through and you know, if things are a bit tough you find another way of making things happen and keeping things ramping along and uh, so we're, we're generally progressing all the way I guess is probably the simplest way to sort of describe it. The series has always gone all around the country but now there's more races in a championship year than when you started and probably smaller gaps in between those races so how do you manage licensing, logging, and just having a, a life outside of racing? Yeah, that's quite difficult these days. Certainly, the racing is much more demanding. We, uh, yeah, we do, you know, sort of sixteen or seventeen meetings a year, which in turn have two or three races generally on the, the one you know, meeting date. So. Uh, uh, it is fairly demanding. Combine that with test days that we do, and then um, you know ride days and media appearances that often don't coincide with the location you're racing at. So they're standalone trips. Uh, then the, you know the, the flyaway meetings that we do to New Zealand and the Abu Dhabi and overseas. Uh, other locations, there's certainly uh, uh, generally something happened every you know, second week in uh, one way or another. So it does make it a, a year-round you know, business involvement these days. Whereas days gone by, there was probably a bit of a gap once you got to you know, sort of early November. There was a bit of a breakthrough until you know, somewhere sort of the start of March. But uh, those days are gone now, and uh, so it's pretty busy. You know, for the racing, it's, it's certainly demanding. You know, to try and stay competitive, that you know, a lot of work has to happen when you're not at the races. Like before you get there so uh, those things you know do actually limit a bit of the family life at home and so uh, I probably don't see much as much of my wife as I'd like to but uh, uh, fortunately enough she's pretty you know, sort of accommodating and uh, happy enough for me to do what I do so uh, it does make it pretty easy for me. And what about the job itself is it as still as enjoyable as when you're a young fella working on a, a speedway car or with Murray? Oh, I think so because you know, probably for me at least, you know, you're striving for success with whatever you're doing, and so uh, yeah, that for me hasn't changed, and that doesn't change even you know at the level we're at now. But uh, it's probably a little bit more frustrating these days that you know, you're sort of up against you now a pretty tall order with some of the other teams that we you know, race up against because they've got probably better resources and uh, you know, in a number of ways they're sort of better set up than what you are. But you still strive to do the very best you can with what you've got, and uh, at the end of the day, you have to go home satisfied if you 
manage that. And uh, uh, so for me, you know, luckily enough, you know, Gary and Barry Rogers are really good at uh, you know, making the facilities available to our current team. And so from that end of it, that uh, you know, we don't lack for you know, the resources to uh, you know, be competitive. And uh, it's just uh, the balls in the court of the people that then they have to make all that work. And uh, you know, then the drivers are the final link in the thing to actually make it work on the racetrack and get the results that we strive for and don't always get, but uh, yeah, certainly hope for. And uh, if we don't get this weekend, we're looking for it next weekend. Now, we've mentioned a few of the uh, people that you've been involved with in your CV, but there's been some other legends of motorsport in Australia that you've also been linked up with. Yeah, true, yeah. I must admit that uh, through Glenn Seaton, uh, through, I should say, Murray Carter, I met up with Glenn Seaton, and then through you know, Glenn and his dad, Barry, uh, they were uh, good enough to give me a job with them, which was uh, probably the next you know, full-time job that I got after Murray Carter's sort of stint. And, uh, yeah, they were certainly uh, good years with you know, Barry and Glenn because uh, uh, that was uh, their sort of, um, not so much a start, but a restart of their career in a, a far more... Um, professional or you know full-time role and uh, the start of the Sierra era with the Group A cars so uh, through you know the, the Seaton era and the Peter Jackson years and then uh, uh, from there um, I was able to do a stint with uh, Fred Gibson and uh, the Gibson Motorsport team which was really rewarding. Fred was certainly uh, a very uh, innovative and uh, you know, great racer and uh, uh, the involvement there with the people that were involved in Gibson Motorsport at the time was uh, really uh, satisfying and then from uh, there um, a bit later in the piece I was able to get uh, a bit of time with uh, Jason Bright and the Brightec team which was good and then uh, Walkinshaw racing after that so uh, there's been quite a few different teams I've managed to stop at along the way and uh, enjoyed all the involvements they've all been you know, uh, varying degrees of success but uh, you know, all very satisfying from a racing point of view Is there a big difference in the way you do your job with each of those teams understanding that there are some generational differences in time across that period? Uh, I don't think so, no. Like, you know, really, you know, I guess I'm probably um, uh, experienced enough and been around long enough, I've probably developed my own ways and a, a lot of, you know, sort of things that I do. And hopefully, you know, that's probably been, you know, uh, sort of uh, a satisfactory, you know, sort of a fact that they were aware of, you know, when I started. So, yeah, there is obviously progression more than you know, variation in your own ways. You know, things, you know, change and, you know, the, the, the style of work that you do and, uh, you know, I guess uh, you just adapt to the times, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, I find it hard to believe that I'd actually change my ways that much. But you certainly do have to move with the times. It's more so the, the fact that uh, you know, the, the, the you know, sort of uh, commitment factor is probably higher now, just because the results are so much more um, you know, expected and you know, strive for, and so uh, the level of involvement is probably. You know, moved away from some of the social level that it was in days gone by to a far more work slash you know, uh, professional level. So uh, that sort of keeps you on your toes. But uh, again, we're sort of driven for success and uh, doing the best we can with what we got. So uh, that stays the same. And you mentioned with Gary and Barry having a TCR program now and the S5000 coming online. Are you just sitting back going, I am never going to be home if I'm driving the truck to all these events? Yeah, I must admit that at this stage that uh, both those programs are relatively young and uh, it will be interesting to see how they sort of dovetail into the uh, Gary Rogers Motorsport program as uh, this year rolls out and next year rolls on. But uh, there is a limit to how much I can do, so uh, I need to be careful not to you know, try and uh, strive for more than I'm capable of. So uh, it's just a case of uh, yeah, doing the best job I can with what i got you know, sort of uh, on the plate at the time. But 
Uh, those, those programs are all great, both be great to be uh, sort of connected to in one way or another, but uh, where my involvement fits with you know, any of those or, or some of those uh, remains to be seen. But uh, it's certainly great, at least if nothing else, just to see them you know, progress in, in the shop. And uh, particularly the S5000 program, it uh, should be you know, a real you know, sort of buzz for racing in Australia, you know, for uh, the open wheel category to you know, ramp up you know, from where it's been for the last few years. Well, Joe Solomon, pleasure to meet you and uh, have a chat with you today. No worries, it's been a pleasure to talk. It was great to catch up with Joe Sullivan, a very warm and welcoming man whenever you're at the Supercars paddock. After break, Tom Howard giving us his views on all things to do with journalism and motorsport. A world view of it. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. As I mentioned, I spoke to Tom Howard earlier in the year um, for a story that we've got coming up after Bathurst, but we also had the uh, opportunity this week to run parts of the interview that weren't going to make it into the other story, and it's particularly focused around Fogues's open letter in this week's auto action, which you can read online, and I suggest you go and have a look at it at autoaction.com.au. So I had sat down with Tom Howard from Speed Cafe. We were talking about a lot of things, but we started to focus in on the job of being a motorsport journalist and particularly what it's like to work in this current environment. What about journalism and the journalism standards in and around motorsport that you can directly compare? How do you find the level of journalism here compared to the level of journalism in Europe? It's, I think the level is pretty similar. The way to go about it is different, though. Um, for, for me growing up, I had to get certain qualifications before I could even be considered for a job at a local newspaper, whereas here I technically don't need to have anything uh, on paper in a certificate form or anything. I can just rock up and show that I can write and I get a job, whereas back home I have to do a law module i have to do local government central government i have to have shorthand qualification and a newspaper won't take you on unless you have that proof so that's where it's different um but in terms of the level when i've come across working with people not having that qualification doesn't really may really matter because like you work with people and they're just as good there's no i wouldn't say there's any difference in the level of quality it's just the way to go about it is probably probably a little bit different I guess some of the people that I work with have done uni degrees, but others haven't done anything in journalism. They've just been really good at it naturally and, and have got the job. So that's where it's different in the UK. You can't just, in the UK, you can't just walk in and suddenly go, I want to do this. You have to actually prove a lot before you can get in. And I think that's where it's different. One of, so the ethics you learnt 10 years ago aren't relevant today? The ethics are. I think. I don't think ethics and journalism has changed. I think we all know deep down what's right and what's wrong and how we tackle stories and what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And I've, I'm very 
like I always try and maintain a balance when everything I write um, and you do it to the best of your ability sometimes there are going to be times where it's difficult but I'd say the ethics in, in the entire industry here are pretty good like you don't see much that you go oh that's not the right way of doing it but certainly in the motorsport media here I think everyone works to those to good ethics and I feel like the moment those ethics get forgotten that's a dangerous time that's dangerous time for the whole whole operation I think I actually think that those those are important like we I remember going back to my to my days where I was doing my course and I remember them giving us a little press code of conduct book and we had to do a module on that and I do feel there's probably I don't know whether that gets forgotten a bit now I don't know I'd have to go back and see what they're teaching them now these days but certainly at that point I remember thinking right we've got to look we've got to go by this book like this is how we do things and that's part of probably I'm a little bit cautious I suppose in some areas but certainly when you did the law module you, you realized how dangerous it was if you don't do things correctly because you're like I can get into serious hot water here um, and I think that is why they teach you that because it makes you f- have that fear of okay this is serious I've got to do things by the book otherwise this this or this will happen or this this will be a problem for the publication and I could lose my job so yeah I, I would say ethics extremely important and I hope that it's still being taught today like I don't know because I've not gone back to see what's going on but I really hope that that's still being drummed into people because it's important that that doesn't get forgotten having been in and around the industry internationally how do you see the change of journalism and particularly now you've come into it well at least five years Speed Cafe had been around and you've been with them for the the, uh, most recent five how have you seen the respect for an internet journalist uh, over that time and even when you were dealing with them in England how has that change gone and how do you see the industry has revolved around sites like your site yeah it's a great great topic to bring up actually I mean I've had the luxury of working in newspapers at the start of my career and how that evolved into the online stuff um, and yeah it's completely different to when I started my career when I was 19 like you know there's so much focus on the newspaper and very little on the website when we were at the local news side so but even during my time there it the move towards the website had changed massively and social media was just erupting and we were we were one of the first adopters actually in the sort of local news scene to really get on board with that straight away and i brought a lot of that to speed cafe with the live updates stuff because we were doing that back in the uk for football matches and stuff like that so yeah it's it's definitely the world has changed from a journalist point of view it's for us i suppose now there's yeah there's a lot way more respect for the internet journalist now but also there's way more demand for copy now and stories because it's just you can never fill a website whereas with a newspaper you were like all right well i've filled my pages i'm done that's that's it like the you haven't you can have a day off whereas now it's 24 7 there's no you know you have to there's always as soon as you publish something that someone else wants to know when the next story is going up and you're like well got to go and get another story yeah it's 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 just relentless so but yeah i do feel like certainly in the last five years i've been here the respect for internet journalism has gone up and i think the importance of it is is now you have to do it it has to be the way forward like you can't unfortunately the old ways 
uh, are dying. And the only way that they always work now is sort of feature-based content, which is great. But even now, we're starting to run a few features on Speed Cafe, and we're actually finding that previously we thought, oh, it's too long for people to read. But actually, we are now getting some traction where people go, actually, yeah, this is quite nice to have something a bit different to read on a weekend when there's not a race on for example and they've got time to get, go through it so you even see now the feature content getting into the website areas so it's kind of a real role reversal feeding the beast has burnt out a lot of people and uh, at times i think it has actually uh, uh, had its toll on you but how do you draw the line about all right it's going to have to wait till tomorrow or it's not worth not sleeping tonight to make sure I get this story up and right. This is probably one of my worst areas for me because um, I really I, I should I should do more sort of like leave it don't don't chase it just take a step back you're just going to burn yourself out but there is that sort of there's, there's there's a lot of competition out there and there's that demand to be sort of first and um, but sometimes you're right yeah, I don't think I realised that a bit more last year I was like you can't you can't keep going at this pace because it's not it's gonna it's gonna get you at some point so you have to make that call and it is very hard because you're like oh you know i could do this story and i could stay up another hour and we get it up but should i probably get another bit more you know a bit extra sleep and i'll be better the next day you know it's a real hard call to make and i find that for me is probably the biggest challenge i've faced actually in this because it's just so hard to know when to make that right call um I suppose you have to sort of... I feel like I'm getting better at it. I'm definitely getting better at making the calls and making sure that you're not as burnt out. But those first sort of couple of years, you're like... Because there's also the part of you that's like excited to actually do the job to begin with. You, know, you want to get in there and do it all, but you can't. You just can't. You've got to actually take a step back and go, hey, yeah. And that's kind of what I've, I hope to, we sort of get to that point now where we're able to try and sort of sit back and make a few more calls and not be in that scenario but it is difficult it's hard my thanks to tom howard after the break our final thoughts for this week's inside supercars with tony whitlock and craig Ravel. each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across australia and around the world this year in formula three i think is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that however i believe for myself uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as bad supercars in australia is where i see myself second crack at the australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at the freeway city uh, two weeks ago inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. My final thought for this week is all about the future of motorsport in Australia. I hope that people don't get distracted by things that are being put forward by some people, I'm not even going to mention their names, suggesting that the TCR should be replacing supercars. The great thing is we've got a fantastic category. We've had it for coming on towards, you know, 25-plus years. Supercars is a wonderful category, and it is watched around the world. And, yeah, there are things that are wrong with it, as there are in motor racing and all sports in some way, shape or form. 
But the great thing is it is a strong category. It's a category that people want to come and compete in. People want to go to Bathurst and drive there. We've got two of them coming there next month from America. People who've never really raced here before, although James Inscliffe, I think, did actually get in briefly to the Gold Coast. But the wonderful thing is that motorsport in this country is in a great shape. Sure, we've got problems with sponsors not stepping in to uh, the same degree as they have in years past, but that's a, a usually an evolving thing. At the moment, we've got companies that are stepping out of motor racing and going into football or soccer and all sorts of different things. But the great thing is motorsport's in a great shape, and people should just get out, go and see it, and enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to Bathurst like I haven't for some years. And I hope uh, that all our viewers will sit down and watch it as they've done for years. And we'll end up with our biggest ever audience on that weekend. Craig, my final thought this week revolves around it's 50 years since Peter Brock had made his first start at Bathurst. Stephen Richards reflected on how quickly time has passed. Uh, look, I, I think um, yeah, there's no doubt. Brocky made this place a, a, a race of his own, so um, you know we respect the fact that he had some great results, and, and the fact that it's 50 years ago, wow, it's unbelievable. But I think um, most of us have a few other things on our mind come the come the weekend about just getting through with a with a good result. Craig Lowndes talked about some of his memories about going to the mountain with the one and only Peter Brock. Uh, probably just the memories of when we used to drive into the circuit and, uh, you know, he used to talk about the, you know, it's a spiritual place, um, how much it meant to him, the grandstands, the fans, um, just the, the atmosphere that, that what the town then starts to have a buzz about. Um, and I think it's all those things that come back for me and uh, I'm looking forward to coming back and hopefully doing him proud. Yeah, you know, I know 06 was my, my most memorable and emotional race and uh, to have our name engraved on the trophy is, is quite special. That's it from this week. Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.